education, leadership, and beyond, surviving and thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 238. Good evening here on the East Coast, uh, Thursday night, March 9th, 2003. Happy to be live on Facebook, proud member of the Education Podcast Network and Voice Ed Radio Canada on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you are taking in podcasts. I'm thrilled you're listening to uh, Education, Leadership, and Beyond and tuning in live. We have some people joining us. If you are live, say hello. Say where you're watching from and uh, certainly meet uh, today's guest, Peter Steepleman. I'm getting the name right, Peter. I've been practicing it since we last spoke. Uh, Steepleman, like the the, uh, the, the, you know, the town or the teep, you know, the, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but we are going to meet Peter Steepleman here uh, in a little bit. And uh, Peter's our guest. Peter is an educator. Uh, a retired superintendent, and man, he's doing some cool stuff. He hosts a podcast. He's an author, uh, and he's a New Yorker, right? So we bonded right away, uh, and we'll meet Peter momentarily. Uh, again, this is show number 238, a little commercial. It is March Madness. It is basketball time, so I want to give my, my own book a little plug, Tales from the Hardwood. Uh, this was my time as a referee. I refereed Division One basketball for almost 20 years. I stepped away from doing that and uh, a lot of leadership lessons here. It's on Amazon. It's my website. Um, it's it's not a basketball book. It's a leadership book. It's a book of stories, uh, trials and error, errors, failures and successes. Uh, so I would appreciate it if you checked it out. Uh, again, you could get it on my website, andrewmarada.com or on Amazon. It's that time of the year, March Madness and the teams, right? The thrill of the teams. But these guys in the stripes, uh, you know, they're doing the job, they're doing the work, and they've worked their tail off to get to that uh, level uh, and, and proceed uh, through the tournament. So a shout out to my referee brothers if you are watching. And that leads me to the opening concept. Do I belong here? I'm watching the Nolan Ryan documentary on Netflix. And Nolan talked about the first game and he goes out there and he's pitching the first game and he says, I, I'm pitching the guys that I got their baseball card. You know, I grew up idolizing these guys and he was scared and he, and he asked himself, like, do I belong here? I'm standing in the tunnel of the ACC games, my first year in the ACC. And I was nervous. I'm with legendary referees at Duke, at Carolina at some of these historic places, and I'm standing in the tunnel waiting to walk out on the court, and I'm asking myself, do I belong here? One of my mentors grabbed my shoulder one time before we walked out on the court at Madison Square Garden, Peter, at the garden. And he said to me, Andrew, you belong here, right? As a leader, as parents, whatever your role is in your job, you belong there, right? Peter served in a number of uh, roles, superintendent, principal, uh, a number of roles in, in, in different districts around the country, uh, actually, you know, east to west coast. Um, you belong here, and we need you in education, and we need you to be surviving and thriving, right? More on that th uh, thriving part. But you do belong here. So when you question yourself, when you doubt yourself, when you think, hey, man, I'm, I, that's not me, it is you. It is you, and we need you, and it's okay to doubt yourself, right? Nolan Ryan, Hall of Fame pitcher, leading strikeouts in the major league history, said, you know, do I belong here? And then, you know, he had to prove to himself that he did. So you educators out there that maybe uh, uh, doubt yourself from sometimes you have a bad lesson, something doesn't go your way, you do belong here. So uh, that's the opening theme. And uh, 
let's get rolling. Let's meet Peter uh, Steepleman and uh, bring him into the show. Peter, welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. You know, Nolan Ryan was a Met. Originally, he was a Met. And uh, one of the worst decisions they ever made was trading him away. So Drafted in the 12th round, they said. They took a flyer yeah. on uh, Yeah, there's a whole – there's all this uh, – I remember um, – Tom Seaver, very upset about Nolan Ryan leaving. Very upset. He so, was his anyway. he, he was his mentor, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, fans, this is uh, Dr. Peter Steepleman. And uh, Peter, you have a, a long career. Um, you recently retired. Uh, and he's back in New York visiting his son, uh, but currently living in Washington. Peter, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're right. Steepleman, like top of a church and a man, but I'm a Jewish kid from Long Island. So there you go. <laughs> a Jewish kid from Long Island who's been all over the country and done some great things. Let's start with your concept. Uh, yeah. The, the imperfect leader, right? The image of a leader. You're, you're strong, you're tall, you're confident, you know, and here you are, right? I love how you use the word vulnerable too, right? Here you are talking about the imperfect leader, and it's okay. Why and, and how do you use this concept? Yeah, I appreciate the question. It is um, really a career in um, battling those demons or those voices that we always hear. So you're always presented with this, the, the model of perfection, right? You're, you're told, read my book, and you do these five things, and you'll be like me, a success. And that fuels those voices, or, or one might call like imposter syndrome right? I don't belong here kind of thing. And so I wanted to present leadership in a different light with at the center is this idea of deeper leading and deeper learning. And that there are these three ways to get to that center spot. And those are called um, uh, collective aspiration, like the heart of the work. What are we trying to achieve together? Uh, nested patterns, which is the muscle of the work, which is really um, saying, you know, what are the behaviors that we will do almost like muscle memory, right? If you're a basketball player, you, you, you learn that muscle memory about how to throw, you know, how to do free throws and things like that. Uh, and then the leaders learning work is that last piece is that sort of that entry point, which is really the mind of the work. And I'll tell you, I, I told two lies to my wife when I was courting her. One is that I love cats. I don't love cats. Although, you know, when when we were dating, she said, you know, this relationship isn't going much further. And unless you can tell me that we're going to have cats. And I said, I love cats. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really love them. Um, but I will tell you all. And she used to send like unsolicited pictures of cats like the local newspaper. Thank you, Elizabeth, for another drawing of a cat. So that, you know, nuts. Um, but the other is that, you know, that I love camping. I, I don't love camping. Um, I'm from Long Island, the South Shore. We didn't do a lot of camping. But we did when we started dating. And But I look at these three entry points almost like trailheads. You can enter in any one of those ways to get towards deeper leading and deeper learning. But the, just the, the sort of the fast way to kind of talk to you about it is like I, I wrote a book that's coming out in June and I've got this podcast that I've been running since September that is I treat it like an open mic night. You know, likely my mother is the only one listening. But I will say <laughs> that I, I, I really want to sort of share the fact or, or, or to, to embrace this idea that we're all imperfect, that we make mistakes and that we learn from them. There's a difference between imperfect and like inept or, or, or incompetent, right? Imperfect just says, I recognize that I make mistakes and I learn from them and that I will make predictably better decisions in the future based on just embracing that, that notion. I love it. And when you were kind of forming all this, the podcast, the book, you know, did you kick around different? Like, where did that, hmm, the imperfect leader, where did it, 
did it just appear download what happened yeah it just was sort of an epiphany of um what is it i i started collecting i i, I kept journals through all the time that i was a, a principal and all the time that I was a superintendent and, you know, I was a superintendent in a large district, about 19,000 kids, fourth largest in Missouri. Uh, it was urban, suburban and rural. It was 300 square miles. Wow. So every kind of perspective was brought into this district, 3000 employees, lots of um, the district grew very quickly and over over a number of years. And we were a very decentralized district that needed to begin rethinking how we were going to be. And that really did require us to be more centralized about making decisions and things like that. And there are times where I would make mistakes and I would say to myself, uh, well, that was, you know, not a great decision. Or sometimes I'd make, you know, a, a really great decision. You're like, well, that was a good decision, but I wouldn't reflect on them more than that sort of initial piece. You're a principal, you know, assistant superintendents and superintendents, they do the same thing. They are um, making a thousand decisions every day. And, you know, they don't have a lot of time to reflect. So for me, it was, I want to reflect on those decisions. And really what came to light as a sort of epiphany is we're imperfect. And that's okay. Not only that's okay, when you started this uh, conversation just now, you said, you belong here. Man, I might have called it, you belong here. I mean, it really is saying, don't succumb to the notion that you don't belong. You yeah. do. Yeah. And you know what? You're imperfect. And, and so are we all. Yeah. It's okay, right? You don't have to be perfect. Uh, Peter, you mentioned about Missouri. You're from New York. You did amazing work in Missouri, California, living in Washington now. Give me some stops along the way, right? You grew in your career, but you also you know, headed west. So give me some things that you learned along each stop. Yeah, and, and even before uh, I made it to California, I worked in Madrid, Spain uh, in the U.S. Embassy. And so I was... Working there in um, both the tourism and um, and economic development, and in tourism, you'll appreciate this as as a native of Staten Island. Um, they would people would come in. They say, "I'd like to travel to the United States," and they would say things like, "Can you tell me about Savannah, Georgia?" And I'd say, "Savannah, Georgia? I don't I don't know where that is. Go to New York." Like I just sent everyone to New York. So I don't <laughs> think I did a, a really effective job there. But anyhow, so I moved to uh, California. And I was an insurance agent for a year. And then uh, this, this uh, card came in the mail that said, drop everything and read day, read to kids yeah, in yeah, uh, local yeah. schools. And so I did. And I went back to my cubicle in San Francisco and said, uh, man, I want to be a teacher. So I uh, went to UC Berkeley there. They had a program. Um, they had just passed legislation to uh, require class sizes to be 20 to one in kindergarten through third grade. Nice. So they were in desperate need of teachers. And because yeah. I was bilingual, yeah. uh, I was a good fit. So uh, so I worked in the Oakland schools. And then my wife, um, girlfriend at the time, but now wife, uh, got a job in, in Missouri. And so we moved there. But what did oh, I so learn? She, so she mm -hmm. brought you there, not not you and the job. That's right. I was the trailing oh, spouse. That's the right. Cat, the cats, the camping, and now Missouri. That's right. But I didn't lie to her to say that I would love to move. Like I was you know, happy in Oakland. Um, but I will tell you that Columbia, Missouri was a wonderful place and a great place to raise your family uh, mm -hmm. and, and a really solid town. Um, you asked me what I learned, and I would say system thinking is what became something that I really learned. So, you know, as a as a teacher, I think I was a pretty good teacher. And, um, but I taught through relationships, right? Kids will do anything for you if you, if they know that you believe in them. 
And then I think I was a pretty good assistant principal and then principal, again, like leading to relationships. So, you know, in a, in a school, my elementary school where I was principal was about 300 kids. And, you know, you could have perfect attendance day and sign all the certificates that morning because I just didn't have systems. Yeah. And then I became the superintendent of 19,000 kids, right? And then all of a sudden wow. it was like, ooh, I quickly discovered, you know, you can't just rely on relationships. You have to build systems. You can't just, you know, rule through intuition because you're setting precedent as you're going along the way. So I'd say, you know, I just, I learned systems. Um, and there are a couple that I could give you examples. So like, for example, there are these archetypes or just, you know, another fancy word for stories, um, like accidental adversaries, where two people are working ostensibly on the same, you know, for the common good and in, the, in an education for children, um, but they're working at cross purposes and they begin to become adversaries, but accidentally. Or behavior over time graphs, M looking at what are our behaviors as each month goes by on a certain topic, like um, hiring teachers. You know, why is it that we can never get the best teachers um, and our, our competing districts around us are always getting the right people? When are we hiring? When are we interviewing? You know, looking mm -hmm. at our behavior over time. Um, something called like causal loops. That's another system thinking that I hadn't really thought about, but it was like an example would be... Um, Oh, we used to suspend kids for uh, for cutting class or or for tardies, which made zero sense, right? You don't come to school, so now you can't come to school. Yeah, kick them out of school. Yeah, right, we're going to kick you out. <laughs> right, so this causal loop of like, or a child misbehaves, so we kick you out. Kid misses assignments, comes back to class, is behind, misbehaves again, gets kicked out of the class, right? What are these causal loops? What are these kind of the things that keep happening? And then how do you break those loops? And, um, and, and one last one, I guess I would say is like a stock and flow map. Um, and those are uh, sort of looking at like, what are you trying to achieve? That's your stock. Or what are you trying to get away from? But what are you trying to achieve? And then what are the things that are feeding that stock? So it could be, we're trying to increase our district budget. Or uh, if you're in the role of like communications director for your school district, like, how are we improving and increasing trust in our message uh, and what we're trying to do? So what are the things that you're going to do to increase that trust in your district so that when you go to them for your budget, because in New York, the community approves budgets. In Missouri, just the board approves your budget. Uh -huh. um, and so, yeah, se getting seven votes is a lot easier than annually having to go to your whole community and ask them to sure, vote. Sure, or in yeah. Connecticut, you've got to get your, your, your board to approve it, but then it goes to the city council has like a board of a, of like, uh, of, of budgets. And so that uh -huh. has to be approved by them. So there are lots of different ways around the nation. So anyway, stock and flow maps are kind of that way of, of looking at what are you trying to achieve and what are the, what are the things we're doing to fill that or reduce that if it's like, you know, trying to get, trying to reduce out of school suspensions, for example, yeah. but it was systems thinking that I just didn't know very much about until I met um, the Water Center for Systems Thinking, which is an incredible organization. They have free oh. modules, um, and they also have cohorts that uh, of, of leaders, principals, central office folks that um, join together for a year to get training. And I highly recommend their work. And it, in fact, there are questions at the end of each chapter of my book that come from the Water Center because their habits of systems wow. thinking was just yeah. a game changer for me. Yeah. So tell me, so tell me something you saw in Missouri that you were like, oh yeah. And then how did you, how did you put something in place in such a big district? Like you said, there's 300 right. square miles. Right. Tell me about the implementation of that system. Okay. So a good example would be uh, a stock and flow. I had a board member, Mr. Witt, who approached me. He was our only African-American board member at the time. 
And he wanted to increase representation in our teaching staff. And he would say to me, Peter, we got to do a better job of recruiting. And I would say somewhat lazily, you know, when the University of Missouri or Columbia College or Stevens College or Westminster College or Central Methodist, because there were a lot of colleges around where we were, when uh, uh, students of color or culturally competent students, uh, undergraduates with their teaching degree graduate, I'll offer them jobs. But the universities themselves had a stock flow issue. They weren't recruiting undergraduates of color. Yeah. And so he said, you know, we can do better. And uh, so we brought together unlikely group of partners. Some might say unlikely. Um, our teachers union administration, um, a group called the Worley Street Roundtable, which was um, somewhat critical of the district, but they always did it critical in private um, and then some level of praise in public, right? We're looking for ways to improve representation in our teaching staff is what they would say publicly, but behind closed doors, they'd say, Stephen, what the hell? Come on. Um, so we worked together to resurrect uh, a program that had existed previously that was um, like summer internships for kids who might want to become teachers, but we created a real system. So under the leadership of Nicole Adair, who's the director of the program, we worked together to create a program that would say, today's students will become tomorrow's teachers. And they will work summer school side by side with teachers who identified by the teachers union to say, these are master teachers. They'd be great for giving feedback. And if you've done that summer program for two years, you're eligible for a free ride, room and board included, to these local colleges that are in our area. Because we'd say, look, you have an issue of trying to recruit great students who will become great teachers. We have an issue of losing great teachers. Um, it's one thing to try to recruit somebody to come to mid-Missouri, but they'll stay for about five years and then they go back to St. Louis, Kansas City, or their communities where they came from because uh, that's where they're going to raise their families. We learned that 60% of, of our teachers in Missouri will end up about 20 miles from where they grew up. So we wanted to do something about like, Let's wow. increase our teachers. Let's have them be locally educated, highly effective, culturally competent, right? So your sort of diversity of experiences can be part of being diverse in terms of your school district. Um, and that is an example of like looking at where we had a problem and then building a system to now have a, a real pipeline of locally educated kids who are our teachers in our district. So it's been going for six years now. So we now have two cohorts who are teachers in our classrooms. One was just nominated for teacher of the year as a new teacher. So it's super exciting to see when you are deliberate, you include um, the people who are most impacted the by that decision and yeah. you do it together. Yeah. Yeah. And is this the, the, the Como Ed program? Yeah. Thanks for doing. Wow. Yeah. So that's the Como Ed program. I, I initially called it edX, but then I got a, like a cease and desist letter from MIT because apparently they've got like a big oh. deal program called edX. Okay. So it's Como Ed. So, wow. So you have uh, two years of people that went through it and they came back and worked in your district? Not just came back. I mean, they went to school within our community, right? Because oh. we have all these colleges around. Uh, wow. They got room and board included. So they graduated debt free. Can you imagine? I mean, we and we do a signing ceremony just like you do with athletes, right? Like the most noble profession, the biggest difference in terms of our, you know, sustaining our democracy, teachers, right? Teachers, nurses, social workers, but teachers for us. How do we make sure? And we do a signing ceremony with the with the logos in the background. And their parents are there, and everyone's just like wow. celebrating the fact that they're going to become teachers in our district. And so, I would say that that is the most profound example. I mean, there are lots of systems that we built, yeah. um, but that is the most profound in terms of like game changer for families. Talk about like disrupting cycles of poverty. 
right? Now, these graduates who are now part of our school district, they're amassing generational wealth as opposed yeah. to paying back all their student loans and trying to make it as a teacher, which, you know, is not the highest per, you know, paid job. And, uh, and you got to pay a lot to get the kind of degrees that are required. And I'm sure they're cheerleading your district. Exactly, right? I'm sure, I'm sure they're saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why you were bringing your camera down. Like, what's going on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I definitely want to learn more about that. Peter, we have some people watching live. I'd love for them to jump in and, and say hello and, and uh, maybe ask a question. Uh, and, man, what a, what a great program there. Let's talk a little bit about you, uh, Peter. Now, you are um, uh, doing trainings now. You're retired. Uh, it's your second year retired. And you are working with uh, principals and superintendents. Um, so many people are, are leaving the field of education, yet as a retiree, you are helping grow those leaders. So tell me some, some points that you work on with newer superintendents and or newer principals. Yeah, th I, that's a good question. I, I would say that that is what has become my compelling purpose. So this idea, again, I guess you could look at it as a um, this causal loop. You know, if children are going to be successful, they need to have the very best teachers. And if teachers are going to be successful, they need great principals. And great principals stay when they have excellent superintendents because they and, and central office staff, right? They they crave um, reliability. They crave uh, predictability. They pr they crave consistency. They crave someone who is empathetic and compassionate. Um, they crave someone who is that lead learner who says, "I made a mistake and I'm sorry." Um, someone who has a who will work towards that like shared image of what success looks like, right? Because you can't in a school. You know that like words like this child was defiant or this child was disrespectful. Th there aren't really good shared definitions of that word. If you grew up in Staten Island, you may have heard some words that you're okay with. You might say like, hey, you know what? We can't say that at school. But somebody <laughs> else who grew up in, I'll say Long Island, may say like, uh, that was so disrespectful. Get out of my classroom, right? Yeah. So yeah. having a shared image. So I wanted, as part of my compelling purpose of, if superintendents nationwide, if the national average is about three years that they stay in their jobs, and if you're a superintendent of color, or if you're a woman, or if you're a woman of color, it's less than two years. Oh. So I wanted to play a role in, in helping improve outcomes for children by having superintendents be able to stay longer, by helping them identify where they might make mistakes because it's those simple little things that often undermine a superintendent's ability to stay in the job. Because, you know, school boards are elected by the public. It's a very highly political position. Um, and so the book and the podcast, they sort of look at issues that superintendents face what was learned from those issues so that superintendents in the future can make more predictably successful decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, John Sessions is going back to uh, uh, asking a question here about the, uh, the Como Ed program. Don't listen to him. That guy, I put it on social media and he was one of my board members. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he supported your program. <laughs> he did. He was fantastic as yeah. a supporter because as you might expect, the board and the superintendent have to have a really close partnership. And I will be completely transparent in saying that at the beginning of my superintendency, and this is a this is something that has been a recurring theme on the podcast as I talk to newer superintendents, is that we're never really trained or mentored on how to have that relationship with your board of education. And so 
It's a real partnership. But basically, I just tolerated them. I was like, well, I'll see you at the meeting. Well, we'll do the agenda setting. And then I would be at the meeting. They'd be at the meeting. I'd say, all right, see you next month. You're right. right? It was so ridiculous. Um, but it was people like Mr. Witt, Jonathan Sessions, and, and others who really took the time to want to cultivate and curate a better relationship. And yeah. you need their support when you're taking on innovations that are going to challenge the system because the system will work aggressively to return to status quo. It likes it likes the system that's in place. It doesn't like to be agitated or, 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 or nudged in a different direction. And so um, I would say that because of people like Jonathan, there, there were good decisions made. What are you seeing, uh, Peter, in some of your coaching and work with them? Like what are some maybe mi missteps or, or gaps that, that you're seeing in some of the development of these younger soups or, or principles? Yeah, so a big I guess a reoccurring theme would be, and uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, which is um, you make decisions with the people most impacted by that decision. Sometimes we are, um, we feel like we've been hired with, with a real desire to make change. And so we move quickly. And unfortunately, and, and like when you were on my podcast, which I was so grateful for, you talked about a whole lot of Murata, right? And a whole lot of Murata can be your intensity and your, and your energy and your enthusiasm that can be like, whoa, for the introvert or the new person saying, you know, I need you to approach me in a different interpersonal way. Same thing for superintendents is that if they are quick to make change, that can undermine them because it is, they don't necessarily know what has been valued um, by that community. So this week on the, on the podcast is a uh, former superintendent named uh, Nate Levinson and he was brought in to um, and, and he met with his his board members and six out of the seven said, you got to get rid of the crossing guards. I mean, it, they're ridiculous expense. They get paid $50 an hour. When it rains, they don't get out of their car. When it snows, they don't even come to school. And they're not even crossing kids at the most dangerous crossing spots. And so he did a, a study. He, he brought in a consultant who did it for free and discovered when it's raining, the crossing guards don't come out of, of their car. When it's snowing, they don't even show up for work. And you know what? They're not crossing kids at the most dangerous <laughs> crossing spots. So he brought it to the board. He said, here's all the data. They said, good, let's get rid of these crossing guards. And within two years, he was fired from the superintendency. Wow. Because the crossing guards had really powerful friends who actually they're now the only unionized crossing guards in the nation, as far as he knows. Oh, and wow. um, you were getting rid of you know, people's favorite people. And yes, they're being paid $50 an hour, but they weren't working full-time jobs. They were, it was about $30,000 in the budget, yeah. which in the end didn't need to undermine. So all the things that he did do as a soup, increased uh, achievement scores, um, closed gaps between children with special needs and high achieving kids, um, found better opportunities and uh, for, for kids to take higher level coursework and things like that, uh, balanced the budget, found, created a surplus, didn't matter. Get rid of the crossing guards. Because, so he's gone. And they get rid of him. Yeah. Don't, so, don't. so the lesson is like, don't be too quick to make decisions. Really listen. You know, people like to say in my 30, 60, 90 day plan, I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen. But have a shared image of what does that listening look like? Yeah. Um, so I would say that that's probably one of the things that undermines them. They don't realize that they've really created that issue until year three when people don't forget that they did that in year one and then they're looking for a new job. Someone told me once, don't take down a wall that you don't know why it was put up. Yeah. 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 And still 
question the things that's that people have always said well we all we've always done it that way oh, that, that yeah. to me <laughs> i would say that's one probably one of my pet peeves <laughs> it's like we've always done it that way but don't be so ambitious and impulsive to say well we're going to do it a different way is to you know to to take the time to learn and consider what are the unintended consequences of this decision what is that ripple effect going to look like yeah um what does this decision look like a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Who's not at the table right now who we ought to be listening to, right? You if you still have access to the previous superintendent, hey, that wall that's in room 302, what's that? Oh, don't touch that wall. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, that wall's been there for 20 years. Don't touch that wall. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Peter, we both have our ball caps on uh, here, and uh, but I'm intrigued uh, about the logo. The logo's on your website. I've seen the logo in a few different spots. You got some swag with the logo on there. <laughs> and I finally got your website here. Peter, did I get it right on the bottom, the scroll? I, I didn't update it, but it's coming across now. Uh, oh, oh, human, oh. Humancenteredleaders.com. Is that correct? Yeah, or or peterstevenman.com. Okay. Uh, but tell me about the logo. Tell me about the butterfly there. Um. Yeah, so the butterfly. So, you know... Um, telling you about a little bit about my relationship with the board and um in year two <laughs> i approached the board with an idea that we should have a dual immersion bilingual program in our school district now that would have been fine if i was talking to the board president one week and then sort of talking about how might i talk to the rest of the board members about this or are you comfortable with me bringing it up i just brought it up at a board meeting which was again an impulsive decision that was not very smart and so you have two teachers unions in our school district. So I bring it up at a, at a board meeting and the two different teacher groups are going like, wait, what? We're doing what? And the board members are asking questions saying, I don't understand. We're doing what? And then the, the, um, the city of Columbia, Missouri has the number one journalism program in the nation at the University mm -hmm. of Missouri. So they, uh -huh. they send five undergraduate reporters to all your board meetings. Plus uh -huh. you have two newspapers. Plus you have three different radio stations. Plus oh you have four goodness. television stations. They all come oh to the goodness. board meeting. They all cover it, right? <laughs> so now it's all, we're doing a dual immersion <laughs> bilingual program in Columbia. And of course, now it goes on social media and principals are emailing. Well, it would have been nice if I had known. Okay, so that's sort of your backdrop in terms of framing the logo. So I met with the board in my evaluation. And one of the comments was, um, you seem to, to bring things forward, uh, innovations. We want you to be innovative, but we want you to think about how you bring it forward. And so we came together and decided that we would use the butterfly as a way to kind of um, bring ideas forward. So if I'm in a caterpillar stage, I'm just saying this is caterpillar stage we're in. I'm, I'm exploring an idea. I'm talking to different people. Who are some people I should really be reaching out to to better understand how they feel about this idea? Mm. And then if I'm in a chrysalis stage, I'm saying I've been talking with HR. I've been working with the finance department. We have an idea of what this will look like three years from now, five years from now. Uh, and if the board's still receptive and they've asked their questions and we've brought it to finance committee and we know from the operations team, we've got the space to do it, all those kinds of things, right? And then if we're ready to move forward even more, we are now in a butterfly stage. We're ready to launch. So we're talking through the communications and who's delivering that message and how will we keep people abreast on how we're doing, what's our accountability, all those kinds of things. So that's the butterfly is a constant reminder about process. And then the, and the in the center of it, is a Daruma doll, these Japanese Daruma doll. And you may see them from time to time. And they usually come with both of their eyes vacant. And you fill in one eye when you've set a goal. 
and then you complete the other eye when you've achieved that goal. And so for me, it's the idea that in public education, well, you're going to complete one, you know, eye, but you may never complete the other because we're always moving forward. We're always reaching towards this ideal in terms of public education. And so it's always uh, one is filled in, one is not. And then I guess, you know, you're a principal, so, you know, from time to time we take our black eyes. So, you know, one <laughs> eye is filled in, one is So yeah. there it is. So that's the logo. It's very yeah. personal to me. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine named Sam Falvo, who's an artist, uh, created it for me. And he did it as if it were like a wood print so that it's slightly imperfect, just like we are. Wow. So oh, yeah, a little deep, right? You're <laughs> yeah. like, man, I would like to take that question back, but there it is. It's awesome though, but people wear stuff. Oh yeah, oh this is awesome. that. What a great yeah yeah. Story. So there's the story. Yeah yeah yeah. It's perfectly imperfect. Wow. There you go. Oh, I like that. That was a that was a great story, man. I love it. I love the meaning there. Thank you, uh, Peter. We're gonna we're gonna be coming down the stretch here. We're, we're, uh oh. You know, <laughs> but uh, I want to start bringing this uh, a question as a regular question on the podcast. You inspired me after going on yours. Um, so I'm going to ask this for all my guests moving forward, but you're my first one. So, okay. Um, it's called one word and I say surviving and thriving, right. Is my kind of theme. And, um, but what is your one word to go from surviving to thriving? How do you get there? What would be one thing, one concept, one mindset that you would say is your one word from surviving to thriving? Ooh, I have two thoughts. One is the word access, but the other word is activator. Mm. And I really like the word activator because when I think of deeper leading and deeper learning, we serve as activators for change, right? So it's moving from surviving this idea that I'm just trying to get through today towards being able to look towards the future and be able to thrive, but you need to be able to be that activator for others so that they have the freedom to be curious and creative, to be innovative. Um, so I'll use that as my first, as, as the word activator. Coming out strong at the gate activator. This might be in a book one day. And the that gold might be the standard. First there one. it is. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, uh, again, you've been all over the country. Uh, a lot of followers, a lot of, a lot of supporters, a lot of, a lot of things. What is something uh, that you wanted to talk about here on the program that uh, I didn't ask you? Well, so in my retirement, although I'll tell you that uh, I bristle when anyone says that you're tired and then I go, I'm not retired. I'm, I'm writing and I'm podcasting and I'm advising and I'm giving keynotes and I'm giving workshops. And so my wife says, then stop telling people you're retired. So, um, but it, I guess I've just sort of transitioned to this, to this other work. One thing that I didn't get to talk about, um, actually two, but one is um, I serve on the board of an organization called Be the Change Volunteers, mm. uh, and we build schools all over the world. So in Rwanda and Malawi and Uganda and Peru and in India and Puerto Rico. And we work really closely with communities that who, who really want to increase the enrollment of girls in their schools. And so there are some barriers to girls attending school. Uh, one is if the school doesn't have bathrooms. Because when girls are menstruating, they're not coming to school in some of our in some of the countries and some of the communities that where we serve. And so we start with what does the community want, and what are the treasures and resources that community has? Because we're not going to undermine their local economy. We we hire their contractors, their designers, their staff, 
their their crews and we join on as side by side with them um, building schools all over the world i've been really involved in the peru program because i speak spanish uh, in el chino peru in the peruvian amazon and it has been just the most inspirational place um, and so i would i would tell you that uh, if anyone's ever interested go look at be the change volunteers would love for you to join us on a build and the other is that i've begun advising an organization called ed connective because i've been thinking about this whole thing of how do you have you know, superintendents that stay, well, you need teachers to stay. And we know more than ever that teachers are considering leaving the profession, particularly those during the pandemic who didn't get a chance to do their student teaching. So they were just thrown into classrooms and they are assigned a mentor in their buildings, but that mentor doesn't have the time to coach them. There's a difference. So, th so the mentor gives them information about parent-teacher conferences, how to do the grade book, how to fill up the, you know, the field trip form but they don't have a coach. And if musicians and athletes get coaches, teachers deserve them too. And so I've been working with this organization, Ed Connective, to think about how we can support schools in having teachers get coaches. So they, they view film of your, of your lessons, right, while you're teaching, and then they give you feedback. And then half of the time is, is role-playing, right? Okay, so let's talk about how that's going to look. I mean, just mm -hmm. like you would if you were an athlete. And so Ed Connective is a great organization um, that I would uh, recommend. So those are the two that you didn't ask me about, but I'm happy to tell you about anytime. And I'm so glad because I'm intrigued by both of them. And uh, I want to get on one of those bills with you. And I, uh, I'd love I, it, man. I'm September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Rwanda right. in August. Wow. Well, well, we'll be talking off air for sure. Okay, cool. Um, Peter, this is great. I know you're in New York with your son. So uh, these are going to be rapid fire. This rapid is Midtown, fire. Midtown Manhattan questions here. Uh, the first answer that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Last book you read. Um, I just finished Seen and Unseen by Elizabeth Partridge. It's about the Japanese internment camps and uh, three different photographers and their perspectives. Amazing, amazing book. And really, there's so much about, like, when you think about leadership. Go. Next. Seen and unseen. Last movie you saw. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I saw the Ant-Man movie, uh, Quantumania. I saw yeah. it by myself. <laughs> my my in-laws just saw it. Your favorite yeah. dish? Uh, a bagel with Nova, since I'm in New York. Or a bagel with wife salad. Or a slice of za. <laughs> pizza. Pizza for anyone who's not from New York. There you go. Uh, your favorite place to travel? Well, I just told you about Be the Change. So I'll say Peru because yeah. that community of El Chino, Peru is amazing. Incredible. Uh, what is it? Uh, some advice you'd give to a new principal one to three years? Systems thinking tool of um, thinking about like leverage points, right? What is like one small thing that I can do or a thing that I can take? Um, that will have a profound effect on others. So it could be, you know, harvesting the wisdom of the people that you work with. If you're a principal, you've got really smart people who are already working in your building who know how things are done, not just like operationally, but instructionally. You know, that chemistry teacher down the hall, that math teacher. In fact, on my podcast, you mentioned uh, by some name some of the teachers yeah. in your building who you know are oh. just master teachers. So leverage their wisdom as opposed to bring in somebody to tell them how to teach. Yeah, great point. The best superintendents are the best because fill in the blank. Ooh. Uh, well, they embrace imperfection. They're vulnerable. They're willing to be a lead learner. Uh, and I'd say that lead learner is two things. One, that you don't just send people to trainings. 
you go alongside them, right? Mm. Because you're modeling mm. that this is important for the district, as well as you're a lead learner, meaning you're the first to apologize when you make a mistake. Model that and watch the cultural field really shift in your in your in your district. That's awesome, man. A journal or blog you subscribe to? Um, the oh, um, I subscribe to the School Administrator Magazine, Jay Goldman for mm -hmm. AASA. He curates. Mm -hmm. Great stories, great learning, um, just really reflective leaders from all over the nation. So it really gives you a good sense of what's going on around the country. What's a pet peeve of yours? Well, I gave you one earlier, right? But I'm going to give you <laughs> another one, which is that um, if you don't know an answer or, you, or you're not sure, just say, I don't know or no. You, you don't have to dance around because you feel like uncomfortable, like, you know, not knowing something. That, that to me, is, I just go crazy. Yeah, you don't have to know. It's, you don't have to be. It's perfect. okay. It's okay not to know. But it's like, uh, you know, um, are we? Uh, what? What are we supposed to learn at this next? You know, in service. I don't know. It's like, well, you know, I was talking to science, and then I wasn't sure if we were. It's like, ugh, it could just be. I don't know. Or, or that wasn't what we had hoped it was going to be. It, it's okay. It's okay. At eight a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel fill in the blank. I feel like I'm supposed to be practicing my saxophone for a band that I just joined the OL rain, which is a professional women's soccer league in Seattle. Yeah, I joined yeah. their pet band. And so oh my I'm, God. It's I so awesome. It. Yeah. You're there incredible. was it just, I, I went to a match last year, Megan Rapinoe's on their team. Right. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to the, I went to a match and there was this pet band playing. So I looked them up online. I was like, are you new to the area? Have you not picked up your saxophones since like college or high school? Uh, don't want to rehearse very much. We're the band for you. I was like, great. <laughs> So I've been going to rehearsals at Lumen Field in the evenings and uh, the season starts coming up here in uh, end of March. And uh, so I'm on the OL Rain Riot team uh, or on the pep band. So much fun. R-A-I-N-O-L Rain? Uh, well, it's R-E-I-G-N. It's like a little play on the fact that it rains a lot in Seattle, yeah, but rain. they're like the reigning, know, yeah, reigning yeah. champions. Yeah. Yo, I am going to tune in, bro. Pump up the volume. Man. Oh, my <laughs> you're God. The, you're in the okay, pep well, band. Yeah, don't listen too closely. Well, actually, this alto saxophones are very good, so I can play a little softer. You're incredible. This is <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm learning all my, like, Lizzo tunes. You're like, <laughs> so funny. Best takeaway from this show for our guests? I guess I would say, as you consider shifts in practice or, or careers, um, you, you've reminded me that really like trusting yourself, right? I'll go back to what you said at the beginning. You belong here. So yeah. trust yourself is like an essential first step. You're going to make missteps. You're going to make mistakes. Make mid-course corrections. That's okay. So I'd say trust yourself. One thing you're curious about. Mm. I'm curious about what the next three to five years will look like for my boys who will be graduating college or high school, my wife and her career, and, and for me. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm kind of curious. I'm excited, but I'm curious. The non-retired imperfect educator. That's right. <laughs> uh, Peter, something about Peter uh, Steepleman that people do not know about. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was my aunt. Whoa. You're not messing around. No. Holy cow. Dude. I liked you before you said that. And I liked you more. <laughs> Holy cow. That's yeah. powerful. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Peter, you mentioned your website. I got one of them going before, and then it's uh, petersteepleman.com. And then your Twitter is on there. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, through the website or through LinkedIn. Uh, you know, you can find me there um, and, 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 and through Twitter anyway. Um, and on my website has my phone number, so you can you know text me, call me, whatever you'd like.
And Peter's book is coming out this June. Um, again, the name of the book, Peter? Is um, An Imperfect Leader, Human-Centered Leadership in After Action. It looks at the experiences of a superintendent over a series of years, decisions that were made, and then deconstructing that decision in a way that helps one see what got overlooked and what did I learn and what new relationships were formed. And in the end, what was something that was good that came out of it? Because, you know, through our experiences is where our greatest learning happens. Peter Steepleman, friends, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Peter, I'd like to end with a quote. You have one for us that uh, you'd like to live by? I do. It was a quote that my aunt uh, sent me, and I, I live by it, which is that real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. Mm, say it one more time. Real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. Peter, you had some friends on here watching. AJ, uh, watching I don't know who New, AJ is, so New I'm Jersey. so happy to know yeah. it. Thanks for listening. That was My awesome. paisan from New Jersey, an assistant principal. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in, friends. Uh, if I can help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out at Andrew Murata 21 uh, This podcast has brought me a lot of places, and uh, I consider Peter a new friend. And man, I can Peter, endorse you I mean, you've been so receptive to my questions and I'm new to all this and you've just been wonderful. So, you know, as, as school districts are thinking about looking for speakers, I know you don't need me to tell them this, but I, I'm happy to endorse. Um, you're really a motivated person. And, and um, so you inspire me. So thank you. Well, let's get to one of those building projects together and we'll, we'll be working together. Check out Peter Steepleman, all the work he's doing. Peter, enjoy your visit to New York uh, and great to connect. And thanks for making some time for me. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. Hang tight, Peter, and I'll uh, be right with you. We're going to sign off here on education, leadership, and beyond, surviving and thriving. If I could help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, keep rolling, friends. Keep surviving and thriving. Mm -hmm.